Welcome to this episode of Antinatalism Around the World. I'm your host, Lawrence Anton, and here I speak to antinatalists from countries all around the world, and possibly even one day, antinatalists in every country around the world. This podcast is an audio-only version of the main series on my YouTube channel by my name, Lawrence Anton. On my YouTube channel, you will find a version of this episode that contains video and audio and has an extended version of the show notes. If you, the listener, are from a country or in a country that hasn't been covered on the show yet and you think you have the knowledge of the country and antinatalism in that country to do an episode with me then get in contact via my email which is lawrence a-n-t at protonmail.com that is in the description and again you can find extended show notes with all the links you'll need on the youtube version of this episode and without further ado thank you for listening and enjoy the episode Welcome to another episode of Antinatalism Around the World. So this episode, I'm joined by Ilkin, who is going to be talking with me about antinatalism in Azerbaijan. Now, um, Azerbaijan is a country that um, I think a lot of people watching may not be able to like place it on a map, right? Um, there's a lot of countries like that. There's a lot that like most countries in the world, most people won't be able to like place it on a map, right? So this is by no means like a unique thing for Azerbaijan, but I think it's one of the first countries in the series that I'm doing that I can think of that is a country where people would be less well, uh, less familiar with it. Um, so I'm sure everyone now is Googling away to find where it is <laughs> so they don't feel inadequate. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, Ilkin, do you, do you just want to like um, give a bit of an introduction to yourself? Like, um, you know, who are you? What have you done? Um, and then also, um, how did you come to find out about antinatalism? Thank you, Lawrence. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, yeah, my name is Ilkin, and I'm uh, I'm from Azerbaijan, which is a small country in between Turkey, Iran, and Russia. There's your introduction, and yeah. uh, so I'm doing uh, I am a PhD candidate in political philosophy at the University of Milan. Uh, my work is uh, about social freedom, especially about negative freedom. I'm trying to understand what's the difference from moral perspective between freedom and ability, as well as between the concepts of unfreedom and inability, whether there is any morally relevant difference between inabilities caused by nature and inabilities mm. caused by other humans uh, as a result of the conduct of other humans. And of course, mm. many other questions related to this main theme. Uh, yeah. Now, this I am in my last semester, so hopefully I'll graduate soon, and then I'll look for a job. Uh, other than that, I'm... Um, I, I kind of find out antinatalism, I think, in 2015 when I was doing my master's in uh, in Budapest, Hungary. Uh, there, I I think uh, this book was suggested by uh, uh, by a friend of mine, by my classmate there, a Turkish guy, Alp, and it, oh. it was yeah yeah. I think I think I might know who he is. 
Uh, yeah, go on. Mm, maybe it might. It might. Yeah, it, it might be a common name in Turkey. I'm not sure, but um... yeah, it is. It is a common name. Okay, but yeah. He's going, okay. he's going with Alp, even though the full name is Gökay Aslan. Uh, so yeah. we studied together. We studied political uh, political science at Central European University, but we both uh, were doing our kind of tracks in political theory. And none of uh, our topics were related to antinatalism, but uh, he, uh, he suggested me this book and I read the book and it was probably the first book that I was reading and I was saying, yeah, obviously, it's, it all makes sense. <laughs> there, was nothing that, uh, there was nothing that I found weird. It was uh, the book by David uh, Benetar, the 2000, mm. his 2006 book. And then I became interested in antinatalism. I read basically his other books and other related articles, but mm. I never kind of incorporated antinatalism uh, into my uh, kind of academic research. It, yeah. only, it always became kind of uh, a hobby for me. And then mm. I started to write and talk about antinatalism in Azerbaijani in order to convince people, not only my family and relatives, but also kind of friends and acquaintances. Mm. And, uh, and recently we did uh, kind of two video podcasts about antinatalism mm. with a friend of mine who has a child, but who became antinatalist later. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's um, interesting. So yeah. it, it was an interesting uh, podcast, but most mm. of the, uh, most of the claims that we made were misunderstood. That's why we received uh, a lot of kind of nasty comments. Uh, mm. But otherwise, I think it was it was useful, at least for many people, because they many people found out it for the first time, or they had some ideas about the ethics of bringing new human into life, and they mm. found they found out that actually there is a philosophical trend talking about this. Uh, so that's mm. why I think it was kind of beneficial. Yeah, there's there's so many things you just said which I want to ask about now. Um, so, I guess the the conversation that you had with your friend that you recorded and put on YouTube. Maybe we'll keep that till a bit um, later, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Um, but um, a few of the things you said. So, you said that your friend, um, who I think you said is Turkish, he introduced you to um, Benatar's book. Uh, so. <clears throat> was was your friend already antinatalist or did he sort of recommend it to you from the perspective of like oh i just came across this book this is an interesting idea um as far as i remember he was not an antinatalist he doesn't have a kid yet <laughs> mm. uh, i'm not sure whether he has changed his mind but he was just uh, just a guy he was reading everything so that's why even yeah. though it had nothing to do with his research he 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 knew the book and he suggested it to me because I think in one yeah. of our conversations probably we discussed the ethics of bringing a new human and right. there he picked it up and said that, oh, there is this book, you can read it. Uh, and yeah, I yeah. liked this book a lot. I, uh, I didn't know that there is this philosophical trend uh, and I didn't have uh, any strong opinions about the ethics, but I kind of start, I was starting to think about it. I was just 21 that oh, yeah. there is something wrong with it. Um, yeah. And so I was very happy that there's actually a book. <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So what, what was it? Because you, you you were just saying there that like it wasn't um, it wasn't the book that actually introduced you to the 
idea. It kind of introduced you to the to the fact that there was a philosophy built around it, and there were books. But you said that you already had these kind of thoughts in your head. Like, what what are we talking? Was this something that like you've just ever since you were a kid, you've just sort of had this background sort of feeling, or where were those thoughts coming from before you read his book? Ah. Uh, I think those thoughts were new back then, maybe one or two years old. Yeah. Kind of, I started to think about these issues, I think, probably when I was 19 or 20. And the reason was Islam. So yeah. uh, kind of, uh, I used to be religious, uh, kind of against the wishes of my family, because Azerbaijan is a secular place, and people don't yeah. like uh, when... I mean, typical Soviet-style families, they don't like uh, if you turn out to be religious. Uh, so yeah. I, I was religious. I was like Muslim, praying five times a day, all that regular stuff. And I was thinking about kind of the point of the point of life and why why did God or Allah create this and all mm. those questions. So the the general answer you can find in Islam is that um, uh, God uh, was omnipotent, still is, <laughs> and um, so so God created creatures including humans mm. because he was so great but nobody was out there to recognize his yeah. or her usually his his greatness so that's why god created uh, genes and angels and humans so that they can pray him i thought that's selfish uh, that, <laughs> massive <laughs> ego trip <laughs> but that's that's probably the most selfish thing you can ever do um, and that was that was the start when I started to leave Islam. And mm. uh, while I was studying, actually, uh, in Budapest, kind of, I left Islam and I said, okay, now I'm atheist. I'm not praying anymore. I'm not Muslim anymore. So then I came, kind of applied the same analogy to our parents. Like, mm. why did they bring us into life? And the, the usual answer is that uh, if there's no kid, what's the point of family? What's the point of life? Uh, who will take care of us when we get old, mm. and, and etc. Uh, so I thought that nobody really thinks about the uh, uh, the well-being of future potential child when they decide mm. to bring a new human into life. What they think always is about themselves, how this kid will affect their lives, and they kind of treat this, they kind of become, the parents become, little gods themselves they create a new human which is an amazing power that we have and then they experiment on these kids they love those kids i have no doubt but before the kid became uh, into existence uh, mm. nobody thinks about or kind of at least hypothetically they take into consideration the future a kid's well-being or the potential thoughts of that kid about life and existence so that's mm. why I thought that's also selfish. And that was the reason why I uh, became an antenatalist without labeling myself. Uh, and mm. then I read Benatar and I thought that, okay, I can now label myself easily. Yeah. Yeah, that's so um, that's so interesting. Um, before, before we kind of get on to like the main questions, I had one more, well, maybe two more actually questions off the back of what you were saying before. So the first one was, um, you said that since becoming more aware of antinatalism, 
um, you were speaking about it more and writing about it more. Now, we're going to get to your conversations later, but um, what sort of writing have you done around it? Is this just sort of informal writing, maybe the occasional blog post or something, or have you written actual sort of academic papers or anything? Uh, no, as I said, unfortunately, I haven't. Uh, uh, I haven't kind of incorporated my thoughts on mm. antinatalism into my academic research because I've, I think so far I am more or less uh, uh, kind of emotional on this topic. That's why uh, yeah. I don't want to deal with it academically. Also, yeah. um, I don't really have anything new to say uh, mm. academically. Once I become an established academic philosopher, maybe then I can write about it and people would actually care uh, but so far <laughs> well, nothing really nothing really yeah, yeah. i have i have written i have written i think blocks uh here and there um uh, but i don't even know where they are now mostly i was tweeting about antinatalism mm. with long long threads and then i decided that okay we can maybe do uh this podcast and yeah. we did this podcast with with my friend and and there i also promised that i will write an article uh, mm. kind of a short article few thousand words in azerbaijani as an introduction as an introductory article uh but i haven't found time yet uh, to write mm. that uh hopefully i will do it in a few months yeah 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 no 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 it's it's um it's all good it's uh it's just um like i just find it so interesting that um you know how uh I'm going to analogize this to video games. Maybe this is like super nerdy, but you know how obviously when you have a video game character, you can gain like experience and then unlock a new capacity of some sort, a new, I don't know, weapon or a map to a new place or something. Um, it feels like learning language, like and I'm just going to say straight up front, like I'm shit with languages, right? But like learning languages feels a bit like that because when you speak English, okay, you, you have access to all the English, um, you know, literature out there and everything, but, like, you're not going to be able to necessarily get um, access to things written in other languages like Azerbaijani, right? Of course, we have translators and stuff now, you know, like Google Translate and AI and stuff, but it's not exactly the same. You can't access it with the same ease. Um, and it's just so... I just find it so interesting that there are these... Um, people writing about this topic or you know many other topics as well but in different languages that i can't necessarily access so it's, it's just kind of interesting how it's like i'm like relatively aware of all the stuff that's going on in like the english speaking world and stuff to do with antinatalism but like it's just so interesting that there's whole other spheres of the world that i'm just not aware of um so yeah i just i mean i think I'm just so interested, like, in doing this um, series and, like, learning about, you know, people from diff around the world who have access to different, you know, different things that I don't have access to. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so uh, let's get on to, like, um, Azerbaijan in general. So I want to zoom out a bit. Um, so what what is um, Azerbaijani culture like when it comes to discussing controversial ideas like antinatalism, you said already that um, religion is, is it sounds like it's kind of like marginalized there or kind of like shunned in some way. Um, so are Azerbaijani, is Azerbaijani culture 
relatively pluralistic in in other ways or is it quite sort of narrowly focused and it doesn't really tolerate controversial ideas uh, okay so the society itself is quite secular even though it's not the society isn't atheist but it's secular mm. so it believes in religious ideas only kind of vaguely without really following them um, so in that so um, but whether the society is tolerant about ideas, um, all I can say is I'm not sure. I don't know. As, because I was born here. So I was born here. I was raised here. I'm Azerbaijani. But the point is that Azerbaijan isn't a kind of a free country. It's an authoritarian country. Mm -hmm. That's why in authoritarian countries, you don't get to know your own society. Yeah. Uh, because in general, the, uh, the government isn't interested in open discussions about anything, whether they are political or not. So that's why there is the government kind of hinders any kind of culture that might tolerate different ideas. Mm. Uh, in that respect, because of these factors, I would say that uh, uh, Azerbaijani society isn't very open to new ideas. But when we say tolerate, they are not going to attack or kill or unfriend you just because mm. you talk about antinatalism, obviously. It's just that they will, uh, many of them will uh, make nasty comments. But I have mm. seen these kind of nasty comments in English-speaking blogs too. And yeah. most of these comments basically come from misunderstanding of the point that antinatalists made. Uh, yeah. uh, only a few of them actually understand the point uh, and then disagree. I think antinatalism isn't obviously true by definition. It's uh, an axiological claim. It's about values, and you can reject these values, fine. Uh, but once you really understand the points that antinatalists made, even you, even if you disagree, you wouldn't really hate them because their point is uh, respectable and they kind of care about the well-being of children. How can you hate yeah. someone who cares about the well-being of children? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's why um, I would say that Azerbaijan society isn't particularly open or close uh, in comparison to other societies, uh, but maybe a little bit close, a little bit intolerant because of this obvious political background. Uh, mm. It has never been free. It has been under Soviet occupation before that. It has been a, a Russian colony, and then Soviets was some kind of Russian colony anyway. Uh, and then once it became independence in 1991, uh, it was uh, authoritarian all the way down, maybe except one year uh, at the beginning. Uh, and mm. all of these political trends, of course, uh, uh, influence culture in general, even when it comes mm. to non-political issues. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I was actually going to ask you to maybe give like a very brief background of the political situation but you've kind of just encapsulated it there because i think some people may not um be aware that it was part of the former soviet union or one of the um i don't i don't actually know how widely this term is used but often in the uk we refer to the um ex sort of smaller parts of the soviet union as like satellite states i don't know if that's a term you're aware of uh yeah we don't use that term here yeah, we yeah, like yeah. To think that we were one of the founders, but yeah, I get the point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of a bit about the the culture in in general. Um, how like aware are you of 
anti-natalism or anti-natalists in Azerbaijan? Like, do you know any other Azerbaijani anti-natalists? Are you aware that there's any form of community out there? Um, yeah, what, what, what's your understanding of that? Uh, unfortunately, there is no community or like there is no group or kind of union of antinatalists, anything like that. Uh, I only know antinatalists because I was talking about this even uh, kind of among my friends, even before I start talking about it publicly. And uh, my friends also, uh, some of them at least, were antinatalists. I, I, I do not remember the chronology, whether they were strongly influenced by me or whether I kind mm. of I directed them and I also read those yeah. Uh, books and articles, etc., and they become antinatalists. But as far as I know, I introduced uh, this topic uh, in my own small circle, and some of them mm. became antinatalists, some of them didn't. And only after I kind of made this video about antinatalism with my friend, only then I found out that there are actually many antinatalists uh, that I don't know, even though, again, it's not a community. Uh, but as far as I know, nobody really defends. Uh, this idea publicly so they're mm. antinatalists in their private lives and they yeah. don't really care about talking about these issues or maybe they do not strongly uh, feel any attachment to these ideas but vaguely they believe that uh, they don't want kids in their lives yeah 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 i feel like this is the case in many um countries especially countries that don't have as sort of open a political system um or uh, another aspect is like if if the country is heavily religious in some way, it's quite con you know a conservative religious society. Um, then I think it sort of results in some of the same outcomes. But it, there are it sounds like there are many countries around the world, and I've had this in you know some of the discussions I've had with people um, for this series that like there are some antinatalists out there in Azerbaijan or other countries. It's just, they're not connected. Um, it's kind of splintered. Um, and, um, it's, I don't know. It's, um, it's sad. I think like in the UK and certain other countries like, um, you know, America, we sort of take for granted the fact that, um, we have somewhat established communities, you know, people talk to people who share this idea, um, talk with each other and and you know occasionally meet up and stuff you know um in person and i think often we take that for granted that in in some places people are still just like completely scattered and even though yeah we have the internet and they can you know in theory link up with each other it just hasn't happened yet but it it, it sounds like actually um the 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 conversations you said you had that you published online have acted somewhat as a bit of a sort of glue to stick some people together because it sounds like at least in the comment section people are at least becoming aware of the fact that there are other antinatalists in azerbaijan um which yes, which indeed. is good yeah indeed that's the case i i i know that in some countries there are small kind of antinatalist communities but i'm not really sure what do they do in the sense that if for example it would be nice in azerbaijan to have a small community and we mm. engage in activism for example we translate books we translate articles we write articles and books about antinatalism in order to kind of convince people uh, but other than that i don't think that a group of antinatalists would be anything beneficial if they are mm. not doing activism 
if it's uh, only kind of just group that they come and they talk how antenatalist and how awesome they are, then I don't think it's useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but if they are doing activism, that will be nice. I think one mm. of the reasons in Azerbaijan is that, again, because of this political regime, uh, it's it's very difficult to organize uh, yeah. around any topic. And people do not really have much time or resources to dedicate uh, to publication or any kind of activism. Uh, so that's yeah. why... While we have a lot of political problems, antinatalism isn't a topic that would attract mm. many antinatalists. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get you. The, it, it's interesting. There are um, more and more different groups around the world popping up and doing activism. So one quite well-known now group is Stop Having Kids in America, and they also have a group in India. But also very recently, and when I say very recently, I mean like a couple of days ago, there's a group called Antinatalism Japan that did their, f I believe, their first demonstration in Tokyo. Um, and they were holding signs with messages on and stuff. And um, yeah, so there are more and more groups doing that. Slowly it's building. But I think when it comes to uh, antinatalist communities that don't necessarily have an activism element, you know, maybe because of the political political situation or something like that. I do feel there's still some value to it in that when people are able to form community around an idea, even if it's just community and not activism, it can help people. Um, uh, it can provide people a sense of belonging, if you get what I mean. Because I think often if someone holds an idea that is not in the mainstream, they can feel quite um, disconnected from society. Um, especially if it's a, an idea that's critical of something that's very common in society as well. And so it's, um, I think it's good for people still to come together, even if they're not doing activism, because it can help form a sense of community it can help form a sense of belonging to replace that feeling of loneliness or uh, disconnection from society if you get what i mean but a caveat to that is that if antinatalists do t come together they shouldn't just spend the whole time moaning about how they're alive like this is just <laughs> that's not a healthy it's probably better not to connect if that's what you're gonna do because yeah. that's just not a healthy pastime for anyone you know um, so, you know, the occasional meme is good, but if you're just shit posting memes all the time, then, you know, you're maybe wasting your time. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I also get your point as well. Um, let, let's get on to these discussions then that you had, because we've kind of, you know, we've kind of like, um, uh, mentioned them a few times. So you sent me the link to two um discussions i don't know if you've if you've had more but there were two discussions that you had with the same guy i think it was right yeah and so d does he host a podcast or do you host a podcast together and you had two episodes on this topic or what what what, what is that uh so he uh hosts this podcast it's very new and i think mm. we have only 14 or 15 um episodes i am only in five of them and the two of them were about antinatalism. So he has this podcast with uh, our uh, our uh, common friend, and I am one of the regular guests. And mm. in the podcast, they usually just talk about anything they would like, the, any topic that they have recently read and like to talk about. So it's not 
a podcast that invites uh, you know experts on the topic. Yeah, uh, it's simply that just two friends talk about uh, talk about yeah. the, usually the topics that they uh, find interesting, which can be history, which can be uh, 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 economy, Marxism. He's a Marxist yeah. or antinatalism. Yeah, yeah, um, and um, actually, I just uh, one just. Um, uh, quick question is uh, you were saying how in Azerbaijan because of the Soviet history um, being religious is sort of somewhat frowned upon or whatever what, what how is Marxism viewed in in Azerbaijan uh, any ideology really is very marginal uh, yeah there are very few people who would describe themselves as a liberal as a, a socialist or a Marxist uh, mm. Compared to liberals, I would say like liberal activists, uh, there are more Marxist uh, activists, young people who are oh, Marxist really? or leftists yeah. in uh, in general. Uh, yeah. But this is a new kind of trend. New, I mean, mm. kind of uh, in the last maybe ten or fifteen years, uh, that young people uh, become socialists or leftists. Um, yeah. But otherwise, I wouldn't say that there's any any strong ideological uh, movement of yeah. of of any right or left wing ideology. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I was just asking out of um, out of interest. But anyway, so going back to these conversations, um, so what what were the conversations like? What sort of topics around antinatalism did you cover in the two episodes? I think. Uh, um, I think kind of we we covered the general introduction. We just gave a general introduction uh, that antinatalists have kind of two uh, uh, arguments. One argument is kind of a positive or humanistic argument about why we shouldn't bring kids into life because life mm. is awful and there is no consent and um, it's worth it's it's better not uh, not to exist because when you do not exist, the benefits you get is zero, but also harm you get is zero. But once you exist, the game starts. And because we do not, we have the obligation not to harm other people, uh, which is an obligation that we hold dear when it comes to other aspects of life. But mm. for some reason, we forget when it comes to bringing a new kid into life. So the general yeah. idea was that, as it's in the first first part, was that if you do not bring anyone into life, you are not harming anyone. Also, you're not benefiting anyone, potentially, of course. But if you do bring someone into life, you take a big gamble and you know that someone will be harmed for sure, even though kind of the unit of harm and unit of benefit in total, if it's 100. And if you bring a kid into life that is super duper happy and only one unit of uh, uh, harm in his or her life and 99 mm. unit of benefit, still you are harming a person because mm. of this one unit and you have an obligation not to harm others. So that was the idea. And then we uh, discussed that, in fact, our lives are more miserable than we would like to think. So it's yeah. not even 50-50. Usually it's, it's more harm. We only enjoy short moments in our life and suffer in, in most parts, especially if you are not in a very wealthy and free country. Um, mm. So that was the general topic we discussed. And we also discussed the uh, potential counter-arguments, potential uh, benefits of uh, bringing kid into life. And I pointed out that all of them are selfish. Uh, in our, When we discuss 
when we talk about other aspects of life, we take self uh, being selfish, selfishness as a bad thing. But mm. we do the biggest selfish thing you can ever imagine, creating a new human for our own sake. And we think it's okay. Well, obviously it's not. So that was the first part. And the second part, we talked about um, uh, the kind of negative arguments, saying that humans are usually immoral creatures. We do a lot of bad things, and your kid yeah. may be one of them. So that's why it's better not to bring kids into life because you, by bringing kid into life, potentially you are harming other people. And by harming, it can be just a small harm that we take normal, uh, but also it can be big harm, such as your kid uh, turns out to be an asshole, for example, uh, mm-hmm. in that kind of situations, or turn out to have a political power and uses that political power uh, in order to harm others. And that's why you have an obligation not to create potential Darth Vader's. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was the yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I I, I remember um, uh, reading because uh, um, Benatar wrote a chapter in a book. Uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but in it he presents the misanthropic case, and yeah, exactly. he talks about yeah he he talks about I th- I'm pretty sure he uses this analogy. He talks about how he likens because obviously if you use the misanthropic analogy, it wouldn't apply to every person in the same way you know some people cause a lot more harm than other people um but he uses this analogy about how it's like it it's a presumptive duty um that if there is a sufficient level of harm that you can um expect people to cause then you just you you then create a general rule from that even if it doesn't apply in every case and he uses the analogy of stopping at a red light right like in in traffic so you can drive through a red light and obviously this is going to cause chaos on the roads you can crash with people but it's not like every time you go through a red light you will cause some harm a car crash or anything sometimes you'll get away with it and it'll be fine um but that doesn't justify going through the red lights because you have a presumptive duty not to do that because you know that by and large, it, it will cause harm. And and if everyone did that, especially, it would just be chaos. It, it just wouldn't work. Um, and so he likens that to having a having a child. It's like not every child is going to cause like a massive amount of harm, but by and large, people do tend to cause a lot of harm. Um, and a lot of this harm is hidden as well. So obviously he talks about the harm we can do to other people, but... For most people, most of the harm they will do is probably to uh, other animals rather than than to other humans, which he points out. Um, so it, it's it's interesting how also he sort of uncovers these forms of harm that many people are still um, either intentionally or unintentionally ignorant of. Because obviously, some people like to sort of you know look away and um, not pay attention to some of the harm they're causing. Um, but yeah, thanks for giving that that overview. That was um, that was interesting. What what was the reaction like? You said that you got some negative uh, comments um, to to the to the discussions. Actually, before we go into that, um, the the guy who you were speaking with, I assume your friends or at least acquaintances. Um, what was his reaction like? What was it like talking to him? You said that he he has a child, right? Or he yeah. yes, he does. So. Did, did you notice that that caused sort of 
some barriers to go up or was he very sort of open to it? What was it like talking to him? Uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's a close friend of mine and we talked it, we talked about, about antinatalism before, of course, the video. Mm. Um, so of course it was uh, kind of, he tried to be, he, he was presenting counter arguments to my case. That's why he wouldn't, uh, he didn't want to act as if he's an antinatalist yeah. and he just agrees with me all the time. Um, so we, that's why I didn't really see any, any problem in our conversation. Uh, because he was a plain character, basically. Even though in the video yeah. he said that later, he said that, yeah, he's also antinatalist. I think he sees uh, kind of, uh, he's more sympathetic to natalist arguments in the sense yeah. that kind of he sees the point um, of bringing kid into life. He sees the social pressure that people have. But also because he's a Marxist, this, he, that's his approach to, um, to everything. He says that unless the, uh, and he's right in that, that individually you cannot, by activism, you cannot really change many people because when you change your ideas, rarely you also change your behavior as an individual. What you need to change is the, the social structure, the social expectations mm. that force people yep. or strongly urge people to uh, have kids. If you change that, then most people will just follow you. But if you yep. start doing kind of individual activism, then uh, you will not achieve uh, a lot and my point was that uh, creating a kid is like being a god you are you are creating a human like yourself out of nothing that's 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 great power and i don't think that anything can ever uh, kind of compensate that feeling uh, because that feeling is just great probably uh, all you can do is maybe have this very very uh, uh, realistic games or VRs in which you mm. spend a few hours of your day where you are you are a parent and you create new humans all the time and you just feel amazing and then you go back to real life. That might work. Yeah. But otherwise, I don't, I don't think that uh, anything I can do uh, beyond individual activism will have any effect so far. And... And also in our discussions, I, I, I really like to focus on humanitarian arguments because mm. people don't want to think that their kids will be a very bad person harming others. Yeah. And so that's why it's better. Also, they might say, I don't care about other people. Yeah. So the, but that's better if you focus on the well-being of their future kids. Yeah. And that's more kind of influential. Uh, also, I'm not sure whether Benatar discusses this. Uh, as far as I have read him, I don't remember, but it, it, making an emphasis on a future potential conversation between a wannabe parent and their non-existent kid, uh, making this hypothetical conversation is also useful. For example, mm. you might say that, what if your kid turned out to be antinatalist uh, mm. in the future yep. and comes to you and say that, why did you bring me into life? Uh, what would you say? Um, so that kind of questions are more uh, uh, influential because yeah. um, they are more personal uh, to the uh, yeah. uh, wannabe parents, basically. Uh, but other kind of arguments I don't find very useful in terms of convincing mm. people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I've got a few things to say off the back of what you were just saying. So 
The first one is um, I've used that quite a lot when talking to people is I say to people, um, uh, you know, you have to think about all the possible outcomes when you create someone because often what people do is they say, right, I'm going to create someone and this is how it's all going to be. I'm, I'm going to teach them this sport and they're going to learn this language and they're going to be good at that and they're going to be good at that. And they just become hyper-focused on one outcome that they want to happen and therefore they assume it will happen. But there are many, many outcomes and some of them are in your control and some of them are just out of your control. There are just some things when you put someone in the arena of life or however you want to refer to it, there are just... There are so many moving parts to it that there are some things you won't be able to control, um, no matter how much effort you put in, right? And one of the possible outcomes, like you said, is they may grow up to become an antinatalist as well. So I often say to people I'm talking to, what if you had a kid and they grow up to be like me? Because <laughs> that, 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 like, I'm, like... I, if you walk past me in the street or you have a conversation with me and we don't talk about this specific topic, I would just be a regular person. I, I don't particularly stand out in any way. You know, I look quite like normal, at least in the society I'm in. Like I don't dress in a particularly alternative way or have alternative hair or anything like this. I'm just quite sort of, you know, average person. But I happen to also hold opinions that are very not average, very different. And if you spoke to me in the street, you would think, oh, this is just a, you know, a regular guy. My kid could turn out to be like this guy. But then you learn I'm also antinatalist and it's like they could turn out to be like this as well. So it's a very it's a real um, potential outcome, especially now antinatalism is becoming a bit more well known. Right. Um, another thing you mentioned is it would be interesting. It, it's good to when you're talking to people frame a part of the discussion um between uh them and a potential future child right and i'm not sure if you're aware but there's actually a short movie that someone has made on and it's on youtube about this exact thing of some parents sitting down talking to potential child have you seen it no no oh What's okay it's it's i'll send you a link to it because i can't remember the, the 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 proper name of it but I'll send you a link to it and I'll try and remember to include it in in the description of the video as well so anyone watching can can see it but um yeah it's it's quite well put together and um it's it's very good quality as well um so I think you'll you'll enjoy um enjoy watching it um Thanks. another thing I was going to say as well is that you were talking about your friend and how um uh he spoke about how you know you can't just focus on trying to convince people. You've also got to focus on institutional change, changing the the laws or incentives in society so that it makes the behaviors you want to see people doing easier to do, right? There's less friction. Basically, you want to create a society where there's more friction to do things that are, are you see as bad and less friction so basically guiding them towards behaviors you see as, as, as good, right? One like famous example is, I can't remember which country did it, but there was a country that needed more uh, organ donations and they had an opt-in system where people could go on a website and tick, you know, I want my organs to be donated when I die um, and they weren't getting enough registrations and so what they did is they just flipped it so it was opt out 
So when you're born, you automatically, whenever you die in your life, your organs will be donated. But you can at any point opt out. But people just like people just didn't really care that much. So the 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 amount of organs donated skyrocketed. It became massive, right? Um, and it just shows that people will just follow the incentives in society often, right? Like they didn't actually care that much as to whether their organs were donated or not. Otherwise, if they did care, they would have either ticked or unticked the box, right? But most of them didn't even log into the website. Um, and so if you just change the incentives in society, it can lead to quite different outcomes. Um, and, you know, uh, it, 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 I, I want to speak to someone. I haven't found someone to speak to yet about it, but I want to speak to someone about how antinatalism can interact with politics and economics as well, um, just to explore those topics because I think it would be really interesting. You know, like um, if, and I, actually, I think this is something that will have to be tackled in in the coming decades. Anyway, is that in many parts of the world the birth rate is declining, right? And we're pres we're um, what, what's it called? Not predicted. Um, anyway, we can use the word predicted that the, the population will continue increasing, but it'll reach a point and then it will start coming down. Right. And so we're going to get to a point where the human population is shrinking. And so it would be interesting to see, are there any new economic systems that we need to try out when, since we want to Presumably, we want to maintain our standard of living, but with less people, right? Is that what's that going to mean for politics and for economics? And that that has implications for antinatalism as well, because obviously, if antinatalism was practiced by most people, we would have a lot smaller population. Um, so, it, it's really interesting. Um, but I haven't found anyone to to talk to about that yet, because it's like antinatalism is still a very like side fringe niche thing right so there's just not the people working on it to be able to have these conversations um yeah i think that was those were all of the things that i wanted to um to touch on from what you were saying um so going back to the discussion um yeah, you were saying about how it was to talk to your friend. What? Yeah, what was the general reaction like? You said you got some uh, negative comments, but you also had some people coming to you and saying, "Oh, I'm Azerbaijani. I am um, also antinatalist. I'm just. It's nice to see there are other antinatalists." What What was that comment section like? Um, yeah, what was the reaction like? Uh, on, on kind of on YouTube, the reactions were all positive because they kind of watched the whole thing. But then before that. Uh, even before the whole video was ready, uh, we shared probably one minute long uh, mm. uh, uh, part, a kind of a trailer on Twitter. And that received a lot of like probably 100 or 200 uh, quotes oh, wow. and many negative comments. Because there I, I basically start uh, my discussion of antinatalism by saying that according to antinatalists, bringing a kid into, into life is an immoral act. And this, the term immoral act in Azerbaijan is, is not as uh, widely understood as it is maybe mm. in English. Because in English, it's okay to call many acts immoral. Because what you are saying is simply that from moral perspective, this act is bad. That's it. But 
if you translate the same term into Azerbaijan, which is Akhlaqsiz, which is perceived very negatively because usually this term is used to describe uh, sex workers. Uh, so that's oh, why really? basically, yeah. So even a murderer wouldn't call immoral <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. in daily speaking. They would call bad people. Uh, they would just be called murderers, but their acts yeah. wouldn't be called immoral because right. immorality <laughs> is something only about sex. Uh, so that's why most people pissed off that I use this term, uh, even though, again, if you go into uh, like the root of the term in Azerbaijani, it's okay. You can use it, for example, in academic discussions, but in daily conversations, mm. um, it's a very bad thing. Uh, so that yeah. was that, that term was the... Uh, uh, was the main reason why we received yeah, negative yeah. comments. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, because it's just, you're just calling everyone, basically, uh, sex workers in there. <laughs> so that was, that was the main problem. Uh, That's that so was funny. Yeah, yeah, also we received uh, kind of negative comments from uh, newly married people. Because it seems no, like really, they are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they probably want to have a kid, but they now found these ideas and they are pissed that who the hell are mm. you calling me immoral things like that yeah yeah uh, but on youtube <laughs> i don't i don't i have i don't remember any negative comment they were all, all yeah. positive videos they watched the whole thing and i used that term only once but at the very beginning yeah yeah <laughs> that was that was a nice wise choice of the words yeah yeah uh, but otherwise <laughs> it was all good yeah, yeah. And, your your uh, friend really uh, dropped you in it by choosing that clip Exactly. That was a big yeah. Like, why did you choose this? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So they also didn't think through that that term would would cause a lot of problems for us. Um, then, uh, I think one of the uh, so we didn't discuss it in the video, but I wanted. I think I, I just forget. Uh, you mentioned that when people decide to have kids, they plan, they design the life of the kids without thinking that there may be other outcomes. And, and many people, at least in Azerbaijan, say that I want a kid because I want my bloodline to survive yeah, yeah. after I die. So this, I, this idea I can understand because uh, are you familiar with this game, Crusader Kings? No. Uh, it, it's just a game where you invade other countries. Um, yeah, okay. You play like 9th, 10th, 11th century and you invade other countries. Yeah. And you a bit like Age Empire. of Empires or Exactly, yes. It's about it's yeah. it's like Age of Empires. So it's the, in the game you represent the dynasty and if your dynasty becomes rich and uh, powerful as an individual you also becomes rich become rich and powerful. So there for yeah. example I play one character and I said I want to invade this country and I want to invade that country and I will have many troubles. Um, in this pursuit but I say after 40 years in this game of course when I die my kid will come and my kid as a new king he will have more powers and then his kid mm. will have more powers etc etc so I think in the future as if I am one person playing different characters so people when they talk about the survival of their bloodline they act as if they'll be around when their kids and their grandkids yeah, will be around yeah, yeah. so that they will play them uh, yeah. as a character. Uh, so that's why I, I understand this, but it's very uh, kind of wrong analogy uh, in real mm. life. Uh, so that's why I think maybe if people play more games, uh, 
uh, they will satisfy <laughs> their parental desires um, yeah, yeah. and their kind of primitive instincts about the glory of their dynasty and their blood. Yeah. Uh, that might be one of the incentives that uh, we can So So um, we want people to play video games and create characters, not kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you've got a. Did you ever play um, Skyrim? You know the Elder Scrolls game. Uh, no, not not really. B, you've heard of it. Yes, yes, but I, I only yeah. I played Crusader Kings for, I think since it started for more than ten years, basically. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I played Age of Empires, but I haven't played it for quite a while now, and it was one of the early ones I played. But um, I remember playing Skyrim Elder Scrolls for ages and at the start of it obviously you can choose how to create your character and it's very detailed you know you can choose the race you know whether it's elf or you know whatever and you can even choose like how their nose looks and their eyebrows and everything um and it's like people say i want my bloodline to survive right um but they don't want it to survive at all costs i mean if you had a child and they turned out to be a murderer you would not be happy with how they're representing your bloodline right so and and you can't you can't choose they're gonna you're gonna create someone with their own desires and wants right and preferences so you can't necessarily control how your bloodline is going to be represented going forward but if you create a video game character, you can choose exactly how they look and how they behave and they don't have their own needs and desires and preferences and you get to control them. They're like your little puppet and you, you know, if you play a multiplayer game, everyone can see you, you know, with your puppet and stuff. So I actually think everyone who wants their bloodline to continue should just buy a video game and play that instead. Um, cause I think, <laughs> Um, also, in, in, in new versions of Crusader Kings, you also can uh, choose your character. You can choose mm. hairstyle, the nose, ear, and everything, yeah, yeah. and their power, their height, etc. So I, I yeah, used yeah, to yeah. just create a, a perfect idealized versions of myself, and yeah. when they stick <laughs> in the game because they are old, I just kill themselves so that the yeah. next character can play. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so how? Um, so that that's the discussion you had with your friend on on the podcast. But you've mentioned a couple of times that you've also spoken about antinatalism, your personal life with friends, and and I think family you mentioned as well. Yeah. What were those conversations like? Because obviously, with with family, it's maybe a bit of a touchy subject. What what were those conversations like? Yeah, with the family, it wasn't very fun conversation. That's why mm. I do not regularly discuss these topics. Yeah, uh, yeah. obviously, and. I think they kind of don't take it that much seriously. It's mm. general. I mean, uh, at least in Azerbaijan, if you talk to middle-aged people, they think you're, you're crazy <laughs> because they yeah. have. Uh, it's just what? No kid? What, then what's the point of life? The, exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> you want the point of your life for yourself. Yeah. That's why you create kids. Uh, so in that respect, kind of from the perspective of antinatalism, middle-aged people are more honest. They say, "Yeah, we." We wanted to have a meaning in our life, but young people who know about antinatalism but don't want to say that we're just dogmatic, uh, we're just selfish, they they come up with stupid ideas that how it would benefit their kids to live in Azerbaijan and all that. Mm. Uh, so with my, with my parents, as I said, 
it wasn't brutal or anything, but it wasn't very nice. I think they understood the gist of it. Uh, with my friends, again, many of them do agree with me, but those who do not agree, they do not really offer uh, any counter argument that I know of, uh, that I remember. For example, one of them said that if my kid in the future turned out to be antenatalist and come to me and say that, why did you bring me? I would say that, okay, don't you don't like your life going commit suicide. I can't yeah, do anything yeah. for you. You should be thankful that I even brought you into life. I don't yeah, think yeah. that he doesn't have a kid yet. I don't think that he will say these things to his kid. It will be very brutal yeah. and difficult. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would like to see that conversation maybe in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like a very common thing that um, that people say. I think when when people say, oh, well, why don't you kill them yourself? It's it's like they're it's like they've they've completely misunderstood what you're trying to say because antinatalists are not saying that they well it there's a really good are you aware of um uh emil sharon yeah so he i think he was romanian he he has a quote which i really like um which really sums up like my approach to antinatalism um and I think is a good way of presenting antinatalism to the people who say, why don't you go kill yourself? And it's a very short quote and I, I might get it slightly wrong, but it's something like, um, I do not hate life and I do not desire death. I just regret being born. And I think that's a very good encapsulation and a way to present to people. Cause I think when people say, why don't you kill yourself? They, say that because they assume that you like actively hate your life you know every day is just this massive pain for you and stuff and it's like that's not the case it's we're more like you don't necessarily have to be like emotionally attached to antinatalism it can just be like an intellectual recognition of the fact that like okay yeah i'm here now like i've got to deal with all this shit and it's fine and like now i'm here i can try and have a good time but it would have been better if I just wasn't created in the first place. Like that would have just been the best state of affairs. But yeah. now I'm here like, okay, whatever, like I'm not going to create anyone else and I'll just try and have the best time I can. Um, and I think, I think it maybe is because either the people that say that they either genuinely are misunderstanding or they, they don't like the points you're bringing up and have an emotional reaction to it and when when someone doesn't want to consider something or they don't like what someone's bringing up they try and just assume well oh they're only they only be there because they're a bad person or they're depressed or there's something wrong with them right and that's why they believe it but there's nothing wrong with me so i don't need to believe that yeah exactly. and so they just assume oh they must hate their life there's something wrong with them but actually like no there's nothing wrong with us like we're completely normal people <laughs> we've just recognized that this is just like a completely flawed game to engage in yeah also those people do not really recognize how difficult it is to com commit a suicide there are people whose life True, yeah, is objectively as well. bad there are yeah. people yeah there were like millions of people who suffered in soviet gulags and yeah. like probably only few of them committed suicide. There are people who yeah. uh, are under torture every day, but they do not commit suicide because it's simply kind of in our in our genes that mm. we are afraid of death and we can't yeah. bring ourselves to take our lives. So that's why yeah. it's not really a genuine choice to say that I will bring a kid into my life and 
if that kid turns out to be antenatalist and hates his life, then he can commit suicide. It's very kind of brutal dilemma that you are putting mm. your kid into. Uh, so, yeah. so that's why that's why it's not really it's not really an argument against antenatalism. So, what if I commit a suicide? Does it mean that I'm right? Like, is that what you want from me? Uh, yeah, so that's yeah. why it's it's mostly emotional, kind of knee jerk reaction. That then mm. why don't you kill yourself? This kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We also yeah, I'm not these, sure. we also receive these reactions, uh, but mm. we answered this question in the second part of the video. That's why most people didn't ah, see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the so the second the second video was that more like responses to objections and stuff? No, not really. It was just one video about about one hour, uh, and then we just cut it half because most people don't right. like very long videos. Yeah, that was the only. Oh, point. okay. And yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. once we look back, I think it was it wasn't a good choice because uh, we didn't really. Uh, it was just arbitrarily in the middle. We just cut the video. Uh, we didn't think through that we should cover these mm. topics in the first part and then comment on reactions in the second part. We just commented on every reaction hypothetically because we knew what kind of reactions we will receive. Um, yeah. But yeah, most people, like, first video has more views than the second video. And, mm. and I'm not sure that whether everyone who has seen the second video has also seen the first video. So that's why maybe yeah, it wasn't yeah. a good idea to cut the video. Yeah, no, no, I get what you mean. Um, and it's interesting what you were saying before about um, how, you know, when you create someone, you put them in this sort of like catch-22 because even if they do get to a point where their life is uh, very just objectively bad, it's like they're in a really bad situation, but to get out of it, they've got to do something even worse to yeah. get over the hill to escape the situation, right? Um it, you reminded me of like I don't know how aware uh, like how sort of aware you are of like Eastern philosophy and like Buddhism and stuff, but um, one thing that I always think about um, is Buddhism often talks about like attachment. You know how we become attached to things, and that that attachment is a for is a source of a lot of the suffering that people go through. And if people um, had a healthier relationship with how they are attached to things and more selective about what they're attached to, um, it, they can, they can, you know, they will endure a lot less suffering. And it was interesting when I was learning about that, it made me think about antinatalism because it, it made me think like when you create someone, you create a condition of, of fundamental attachment to life. You know, it, it's almost like people are addicted to it. They're so strongly attached to this to this thing, right? Even to the point where, as you said, people can be in the worst situations, like in a gulag, right? And still be so attached to this thing that they're like, no, no, you know, I can't, I, I just can't let this thing go. Even if it's, even if it's, this, it's like an abusive relationship with, you know, if you're in a relationship and it's abusive, it's like you're constantly getting beaten the shit out of or, or abused in some way, but you can't leave it because you have this, this corrupted form of attachment with the other person. Um, and it's, it's almost like that with life as well, right? Is that your life can get into such a bad situation, but y you have such a corrupted form of attachment with it that you won't leave. Um, and I think when when 
when someone creates someone, when they have a kid, they set up this this condition of fundamental attachment um, to the point where it just it will it will not serve you, um, it, and it can cause you to come to great harm. But they also do all of that w- built into it, and and they know this as well. They know that they're creating this whole thing, and there's a, there's also a condition that one day this thing that you're fundamentally attached to will, will be ripped from you because you have to die at some point. And you don't get to choose when you're taken away from it. You don't get to choose how you're taken away from it. it the, the condition is just there that you will get taken away from it at some point. And to me, that just seems like a completely twisted situation to put someone in, you know? It's like giving someone the best present they've ever had, right? And they're never going to get bored of it. If, if this is if they have a good life, right? And they're never going to get bored of it. And you tell them, right, I'm giving you this present and you're going to love it and you're, you're going to have to use it every day. It's just so good. But one day I'm going to take it away from you. And maybe I'll slap you when I do it. You don't know. Like, it just yeah. seems like such a twisted situation to me. It's, it's, it's very brutal. It's very brutal. Yeah. It's uh, kind, of, kind, kind of unjust, if that's the right term to use. Uh, and mm. it's just full of anxiety, basically. The life mm. is just yeah. full of anxiety. And yeah, that's yeah. why I made the argument that why don't you commit a suicide if you don't? It simply means that you like your life, you are happy about it. Is also yeah. uh, is also simply not true. It would mean that you would be saying to people in Gulag or people in Nazi concentration camps that if you don't commit suicide, it means that your life isn't that bad, really. Uh, obviously, that's wrong. Uh, so that's why yeah. it's it's just a knee jerk reaction from people. Yeah. Uh, from from people that nobody really believes that this is a strong argument against antinatalism yeah 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 um what uh is there any before we sort of close off is there anything else that you think we should cover about antinatalism and azerbaijan and azerbaijani society ah i think we we covered everything so far um Mm. yeah i i maybe if i I give you um, a the general Sorry, idea, I'm not really good at describing the society. All I can say is uh, that, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, go on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So all I can say is that Azerbaijani society in terms of its culture is probably a mixture of Turkish culture and Iranian culture. Uh, mm. So whatever that means, sort out of yourself. I can't really describe it uh, <laughs> in any better way. Uh, so in that respect, it's uh, this discussion of this topic here is very interesting because you get uh, a lot of confused reactions, but also mm. people are not going to hate you or kind of unfriend you simply because you hold these ideas. They will genuinely engage with you or at some point they might think that you're just crazy and they wouldn't engage with you. Uh, if yep. they are kind of middle-aged people, if they are young people, they wouldn't engage with you because they don't have any argument uh, against your mm. points, um, and that and they just roll with it. They just follow the so- social norms and bring kids into life, and they don't, they don't want to overthink uh, about the ethics of of, mm. of this act. Uh, but otherwise, I don't think that uh, Azerbaijani culture is any different from. Uh, Kind of the Western cultures with respect to their attitudes to towards antinatalism, because everywhere yep. you you would see these knee-jerk reactions. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. And um, 
Do you have any future plans with regards to antinatalism at all? Like um, just an anything like a another podcast appearance or you said that maybe you're going to write like a blog post or anything in the future that you've got even as an idea? Yeah, I'd like to write a kind of short introductory uh, article in Azerbaijani uh, for the general audience in the next few months, hopefully. But uh, uh, in the future, I would like to do actually a philosophical research uh, on antinatalism. I would like to write mm. philosophical articles and books on this topic because I think this topic is very important. All I need to do mm. is to find what are the new things that hasn't been said, which is very difficult in philosophy. Uh, so mm. That's why I will need to spend a lot of time on this. But I would like to actually produce a book or at least a few arti academic articles mm. uh, on this topic. Yeah, I mean, um, that would be super cool. And obviously, anything that you do in the future pertaining to this topic, send me a link and I'll include it in the description um, so that people can find it. But um, yeah, I mean, you say that there it, it's hard to find topics that haven't been spoken about. But with regards to antinatalism, like it's still quite a, a young... Well, not young, because it's been around for a long time, but it's still a not that well-developed philosophy because, yeah. um, you know, there have been very significant and valid contributions, but it's just not that big so far, right? So I think there is probably a lot of room for um, uh, more additions from people. And, I mean, one thing that could be really interesting, obviously no obligation for you to actually run with this. This may be like a shit idea. But you said that you... Um, you specifically focus on uh, like freedom, right? It could be interesting, maybe not a whole book or, you know, whatever you feel deemed necessary or, or interesting enough, um, like some sort of um, investigation into the nature of freedom as pertaining to antinatalism. Um, so, uh, like, does, if, if antinatalism is to inform how we understand freedom, uh, will that will that change anything, um, or does it not really have any significance? Or I don't know. Maybe there's something there, or maybe I'm just making it up. But uh, I, I don't have an answer, like yeah. on the top of my head. That's why I don't really know. I don't think it might have some uh, uh, normative implications, but with respect to simply the concept itself, yeah. I don't see how relevant it is. In a sense, that yeah, our yeah, yeah. are influenced by our parents because they bring us into life, so they are causally responsible. But other than that, I don't really have any yeah. anything to say so far. Uh, if I yeah, find yeah. any connection, that would be a nice topic for an article. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, other than that, uh, if people want to keep up to date with you, you know, if they've watched this and they thought, oh, you know, Elkin's a cool guy, I want to, um, you know, just keep up to date with any of his work or where can people find out about you and stay up to date with you if that is a thing that you you know would like people to do uh, well um, they, they can find out my writings because most of them are also in English as well as in Azerbaijani uh, on my website ilkinhusainly.com and they can also follow me on, on Twitter it's just at mm. ilkinmetan uh, that's it. I usually tweet in Azerbaijani, but also sometimes in English. But when mm. I write, usually I write in both languages. Yep. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll include all those links in the description. So anyone, you know, they don't have to go looking for them. They'll be right there and they can find them. 
um, and they can keep up to date with anything you're doing. But um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. And um, one, you know, talking about, you know, what you've done personally, but also um, about antinatalism and, uh, and Azerbaijan. It's been super interesting and I've enjoyed the introduction of video games into the uh, conversation. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Antinatalism Around the World. I just want to give you a quick reminder that on YouTube there is a video and audio version of this episode along with the extended show notes with all of the links for this episode. Also, if you are from or in a country that hasn't been covered yet on the show and you think that you have the knowledge of the country and antinatalism in the country to do an episode with me, then get in contact via my email, which is lawrenceant at protonmail.com, and that will be linked in the description. Thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you in the next one.